The Contenders is a proud member of the Cage Club Podcast Network. For other great shows about movies and pop culture, go visit cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. You know where he's at, don't you? Where a man's at ain't necessarily for you to know neither. Ain't you got no men could do this? No, oh, ma'am, I don't. This is a girl who ain't gonna tell nobody nothing. It was one nice and you wouldn't listen. Welcome to The Contenders, the show about the movies made by and starring women who refuse to play by the rules. I am Tobin Addington. And I'm Isla Addington. And today we are sort of completing the circle with an, a guest who is the, I don't want to say the other Cage Club co-founder, but it's true. We're, this is the other Cage Club co-founder with us. We've had Joey on before. And today I'm very excited to have with us Mr. Mike Manzi. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Hello, I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. Yeah, and it, I think it, it was fine to say that. I'm the other Cage Club <laughs> founder. Yeah, I don't know how else to say it. So. <laughs> I, d- I didn't want to make you think feel like an afterthought. I mean, you are, a, after all, a co-founder of this, of this wonderful and generous network. Yeah, I don't know how we got to this point, but I'm sure glad we're here. So I'm very excited. <laughs> no, it's so exciting. Show. Yes. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Winter's Bone, film from 2010. Um, Mike, did you see this film in the theater? I did not see this movie in the theater. Um, I saw it on DVD as soon as it came out on DVD. Um, I heard about it on like at the movies, but it was after Ebert left. It was after Robert left. It was like A.O. Scott and someone, but I was like still watching, you know, and that's how I heard about a lot of like indie movies back then. And Mm -hmm. They were really talking this one up. So it's like, oh, I got to make sure I see this one. And that was, I'd I'd only seen it once. This was my second viewing. I'd been meaning to rewatch it. Yeah, I mean, I was really glad uh, I had the opportunity to watch this again. Excellent. Tobe, how about you? Yes, I saw this in the theater. And as I said on our last episode uh, on Twilight, I have I teach this movie almost every semester. So I've probably seen this movie around 25 times. <laughs> maybe wow. not quite that many. Maybe more, more like just 20. Maybe more like just 20 times. But I've seen this movie a lot. Eisen, how about you? When's the first time you saw it? I was just going to say you're inching toward, you know, she's the man territory in terms of how many times I've seen a movie. Yes, that's my goal. Uh, my answer is similar to Mike's in that um, – I did not see it in the theater. I, I understood it was highly anticipated. And um, I caught it at on DVD at our cabin at the lake. And I mentioned this once already when we talked about the film, The Contender. But a friend and I were um, trying to figure out which movie to watch. And we had three in mind. And my they were all owned by you, Tobin. And uh-huh. my friend pointed out <laughs> that all three were described somewhere on the back as taught <laughs> thrillers uh-huh, uh-huh. and so um i agree 100 percent. this movie is taught uh-huh um and then thriller i think you know heck if you can say the contender is a thriller you can say this is a thriller <laughs> but um but 100 percent taught i would <laughs> on, my, on my taught-o-meter 
taught by Tobin in class. Too. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Sorry. Okay, that's the game we're playing. I gotta wake up. All right. Ooh, the, the ding, it. the coveted ding. <laughs> oh my. That was a good joke, though, Mike. That was good. Hey, Tobin. Yes. May I have? Because I I knew fairly little coming in. Would you give me two bits about this film? I would love to. Uh, so the first bit has to do with just sort of the origin of the movie. Uh, the movie is based on a novel of the same name by a guy named Daniel Woodrell, who writes what is often described, sort of writes Ozark crime novels uh, that they're a little bit more um, literaries, maybe is the right word. They're, they're not quite paperback mysteries, right? That, that he's a little more interested in kind of the sociology of the place. I think if I can misappropriate the term of, that is your doctorate. Uh, but he's interested. Permission granted. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but he's interested in sort of exploring uh, communities that are, have otherwise been overlooked and that are rife with particular kinds of crimes that maybe we don't, you know, you sort of don't always don't always see in that kind of work. Um, and the movie was co-written by the director and the producer. Uh, Deborah Granick is the director and Anne Rossellini is the producer. And uh, that's the, they, they sort of hewed very closely to the um, to the novel and they uh, got, in terms of the production also tried to, to be very true to the place. There are a lot of actors in the movie that are mm -hmm. just from the sort of local community. The other bit is uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Of course, this is her kind of a breakout movie. Not that a lot of people saw it when it came out, although she did receive an Oscar nomination for the movie. And you can very clearly see, I think, where she gets the Hunger Games. This is basically a... a I was just oh, yeah. going to say <laughs> yeah. that. This is this whole thing is an audition. This is an audition for the Hunger Games, for sure. For sure. Uh, when she And she really wanted this role. When she first tried out for it, they were concerned that she was too conventionally attractive and they huh. weren't going to give her the weren't going to give her the part. So as I understand it, she flew herself back to wherever they were and and sort of begs her way into a second audition and didn't, you know, did the thing where she stays up really late to put on makeup, like just tried tried not to sort of as she's told it, she had was used to going to to auditions and dressing up, you know, like you trying to trying mm -hmm. to up the the. Um, you know, put put on the makeup, do the fancy clothes, all the hair, whatever it is, and she she dressed down, and they saw immediately that she was perfect for the role, and so it really does seem to me to be a match made in heaven. This role that they wrote for her and directed her in this movie, and and her performance. So those are my two bits. Okay, uh, Tobin, you've named some of them already, but let's um, give our official shout out, um, our official ding to some of the women in major roles in front of and behind the camera. Cool. So we have co-writer, director, Deborah Granick, writer and producer, Anne Rossellini, uh, producers, Catherine Dean and Alex Madigan, and of course, lead role, Jennifer Lawrence. Now, shall I give the plot summary? Yes, please, Tim, would you give a plot summary? <laughs> Based on Daniel Woodrell's Ozark noir novel, Winter's Bone follows 17-year-old Ree Dolly as she hunts for her missing father, who's put up the family house and timberland as collateral for his bail. As if that weren't bad enough, Ree is single-handedly shouldering the burden of raising her two younger siblings and taking care of her mute and mentally ill mother. Ree's journey ultimately leads her to team up with her volatile Uncle Teardrop, stand against 
her distant, violent, meth-cooking relations and ultimately face off against both the patriarchy and the conventions of the noir genre in order to save herself and her family. I'm I'm sorry. I was just thinking about whether or not I liked the word mute in there. Yeah, I was trying to say that she she didn't she never speaks. Uh, we don't know exactly what her condition is. Right. That's why I'm hesitant. So it's it's sort of un. But I think it's important to the movie that that she she although she sort of interacts, mm-hmm. we can't. Right. Really, yeah, she doesn't. We can't really. It's hard to know that there's there's. She's she's present in the movie, but not really present mm-hmm. in the story. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a really good way of putting it. And also mirrors the relationship that the character and the mother had in The Hunger Games. You're right. Right. Mm. Yeah, she seems um, almost like symbolic, like a real symbol of just like women being silenced or the silent woman or being put in their corner. I don't know, something along those. I think they were maybe getting along those lines somewhere where she's just been completely shut down by this um, society or the yeah, environment. Or by, yeah, by the system, by the system. By the system. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So here's an example of someone who just couldn't um, like cope anymore, I guess. It's interesting to me thinking of it as you know, a woman silenced um, in that one of the notes I took down and then underlined and underlined is um, all the women that re-encounters. And they're all the gatekeepers. Right, right. For so long. And in many, you know, in each stop along the journey, if it's a Wizard of Oz kind of, you know, trying to find, (laughs) trying to find the wizard. uh, Mm -hmm. All these women, whether it's, you know, teardrops um, appears to be... um, partner of some kind mm-hmm. um thumps partner laura palmer yes <laughs> yes um, yeah. There's yeah. All these, and then to the point of of the women being the ones who um uh, who you know i mean kidnap is an awkward word but she's 17 so that you know kidnap and beat her at mm-hmm. one point mm-hmm. um and that has a specific purpose of course but um but it's you know these women are front and center in so many other ways and yet where is the power right um is an interesting i just thought i found fascinating all through i put women taking care of things yeah yeah it's interesting because there's there just seems like such an absence of men at points throughout this movie or like they're talked about until they're shown later on and they're built up to seemingly like almost mythic proportions as far as storytelling goes, mm-hmm. whereas you find out a lot about them and then they show up and you're like, oh, kind of in awe, like, okay, they represent all of what they've been sort of uh, <laughs> talked up about. Um, and so it is sort of, I don't know, it, it's it's uncomfortable in a lot of ways to see because you're like, oh, and, 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 and these women are like acting, they're in like these um, like very strong like doing all these things that you would think men are doing but then it's like where are the men and it's right. like oh yeah they're off cooking meth in the woods yeah. <laughs> like, like they should be around doing this stuff and being the support right. system and all that ever all that other stuff yeah they seem to hold um a lot of some kinds of power like you say they're sort of um mythical in or you know mythic in some ways um you know thump being so mm-hmm. hard to get to right right um, or, you know, um, I, I mean, thinking back closer to the beginning when, you know, she's first looking for her dad and goes to her uncle teardrops house and it's the, um, 
always the woman who comes out and greets her first yeah, yep. and greeting being and uh, i'm using that in quotes because that's not a not a warm greeting necessarily in each case but um and then uh you know teardrop comes in and then leaves but then has a message has a favor to give um so it's you know some kinds of power they absolutely do hold but sort of day to day it's the women that are getting things done that are whether it's keeping people quiet or um you know in the very and i'm not i mean i guess spoilers we're talking about it but when it comes to actually helping re out with what she needs which is ends up being to prove that her um father is dead it's the women that get that done Mm -hmm. um but i wonder if the power is following the money you know so it's the men cooking the meth that gets the money and if that's that's that link to that power other than just traditional gender roles and blah 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 yeah and i think we can't discount the traditional gender role and being a remnant in this world because there's all this interesting thing about the the way that they like have to be invited in you know like you can't enter yes. someone's place unless you're invited in there there uh, and and mirab uh, thumps sort of head of the family, the godfather, right? Like his wife, Mira, mm-hmm. who is the one who, who you said before has, she and her sisters eventually beat Re up. She, she has a line early on where she says to, to Re, uh, don't you got any men can do this work for you? Yeah. And you got men to do this <laughs> for right? you. I love that. And then brings her coffee. Right, right. And again, it's that same sort of like even as they're as they're enact, as they're sort of doing this noir thing, you have all of these, we, you know, invite you into the house. I give you I give you I feed you, you know, there's mm-hmm. <laughs> there's there are these sort of social conventions that they maintain. It seems to me that the men in this movie are it's sort of like they hold the power, but they're ineffectual. So, yeah, they, that's a great way to think. They feel kind it. of like a remnant as well. Yeah. Well, and I think it's it's just um, I think about the socioeconomic situation that they um, likely feel up against a wall mm-hmm. about it. That, yeah. that there's where else are they to turn but to the woods? <laughs> you know, to, mm-hmm. to how am I going to make money? This is how. And if um, it's not uh, a, a straight job, it's not in the legitimate economy. And so there's, I'm sure, some insecurity yeah. about being providers sure, and about sure. mm-hmm. yeah. um, other things. And so maintaining some of those very strict codes of of conduct and 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 social mores and things likely is a salve for that um, perceived loss of power. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you look at this community, and it's there's just nothing. There's nothing around you know it's just desolate basically and Ree's only way out and i'm sure for a lot of kids her age too is you know she's thinking about joining the military um you know and she's doing it for the money basically she could get 40 grand and like that's that scene is almost heartbreaking when she talks to the uh the um recruiter the army recruiter there um you know and it's just you see a little bit of it early on, like she can't even go to school because she has to run the farm and she's like peering into the gym and sees the color guard performing. And yeah, like, you know, the men can't at this age go and join the military. Right. So (laughs) without them building a new Walmart in town or, you know, that's where we're at at this, you know, point in time. Um, What else? Yeah. They have no other recourse. Like you, Mm -hmm. you have to, they almost have to like create crime to commit just to make a living. Right. 
you mentioned the high school early on, and that was something that that struck me, um, both in watching the color guard and then in watching the class that had the. Well, I don't know. We called it baby. Think about it, but I don't know what it's actually called. The, like the home ec. Yeah, the home ec robot dolls. Yeah, <laughs> and that struck me as. I mean, I chuckled out loud because she's raising children. Yep. Right. Right. right? So right. she's not in school with a plastic baby doll. Um, which made me think back to sort of my to my own privilege because I was not in that class, but I wanted that baby. <laughs> so I had made friends with the teacher. <laughs> and so I got the baby for a week anyway, just like kids in the class. But wow. how like absurd am I that, oh, it will be fun to have a baby for a week when this poor and many people like her that are sort of forced into care work um, because of their circumstances. Um, but the first point that my heart broke was when she had to um, give the horse to the neighbor. Yeah. I mean, that was because there, there was longing in her face in the high school. And I, I couldn't quite, it's early on in the film. And, and like Mike, um, like you, Mike, I had only seen it once before. So I couldn't quite put my finger on what her emotional state there was. But um, that scene when she get, you know has to put the horse in someone else's corral was just heartbreaking i thought all the animals really made me pretty uncomfortable (laughs) but the dogs i mean that so many dogs yeah and like i was listening to the audio commentary too like those dogs were there like Mm. this is like kind of a very cinema verite film like especially in this day and age much more so than a lot of other american movies like i believe like Jennifer Lawrence, um, John Hawks, Garrett Dillahunt, and Dale Dickey are like the only quote unquote like real Hollywood actors in this movie. Everyone else are locals, um, local act, even her brother and sister. Yeah. yeah. Um, like that little girl actually lived in the house that they were filming right. in. Oh, like it's got all that real grit and color to it. Like all that speaks volumes for itself too. Like it's, it's just nice that they have such a basic, story running here that they really don't try and get too complex um, because I feel like a lot of the design of this movie and Toby and you can correct me if I'm wrong because you've taught this in class and seen it 20 times but <laughs> a, lo- a lot of it just is the show don't tell you know I'm is just thinking that <laughs> <laughs> absorbing the environment and reacting to it emotionally and it is very emotional yeah it's effective it's such a good point that the story is so clear that there's and this is a common thing in uh, if, if you read much sort of noir crime fiction, like the, some of it gets kind of baroque in terms of what the what the mystery is. And in this case, in as in some of the best, because they make the actual mystery very clear or, or very straightforward uh there's there's they're, they're then allowed to kind of explore the world that she's in a little bit more it seems like like there she's she's you know we don't spend a lot of time guessing at who killed her dad you know mm-hmm. but that's even though <laughs> that's sort of brought up in the movie in kind of a haunting way at the very end it's it's not it's not a revenge thriller you know it's a this is a this is a story about how this young woman is going to survive and care for her family and mm-hmm. it's it's and step into this grow this sort of adult role uh you know well ahead of where probably where she, where she you know she should be right like she shouldn't have mm-hmm. to do all this stuff miriam yeah. is kind of right like it doesn't have to be a man but shouldn't there be an adult <laughs> to do this stuff for you <laughs> Absolutely. yeah no i appreciated that but i said by the third scene and that was me approximating 
Um, it's clear that all the responsibility is hers. Yeah. And I'm I, for that. I wrote then both for the character, like in the, you know, her character, all the responsibility is hers, but also for the film itself. Mm, mm. That's a good point. Yeah. I, it, she's in every scene. I mean, it is like, you know, a very sort of heavy <laughs> uh, performance. Like this is a hard film to carry and, Jennifer Lawrence, you know, for this being her first like film, I think you know, I think she did television and stuff and and little things, but like she's a natural. Like it is, <laughs> I mean, I feel like she looks in place. I think maybe her looks. She's very young looking. Like she sort of got like a cherub ish, like kind of like a softer look than everyone else. But I just feel by the end of the movie, she's got grit on her face you know like she's got mm-hmm. the look down she has the stare yeah, um, yeah she's transformed into it and and true grit was actually something i thought of several times just as mm. far as like these characters you know on a revenge quest and just super determined and then everyone they run into is just like why are you the one doing this and they're just also caught off guard by her presence and just yeah like i you know whether they're um not aware that she you know has this strength in her to do this by herself. You know, they just don't really, they take her for granted or whatever. Um, and then when they're sort of proven wrong and they have to sort of swallow their own pride, like, you know, at the end when the ladies come and show her where her dead dad is buried and stuff, you know, like they, she gets people to kind of come around. So she's a very strong, sincere character at that. And um, I appreciate that for a movie, for any movie, to be honest, to <laughs> to be able to do that. And uh, this, this one, does it really well. And I think what the movie kind of tells us as the story goes along is that she's the only one who could do this, that at, mm-hmm. if we are caught off guard if you, a little bit if you're familiar with sort of the noir conventions and so as as the people in the movie are caught off guard by the fact that she's the one sort of relentlessly pursuing this. And in the end, it feels to me like the, that there was no other way if teardrop her uncle had tried to do this. And I think John Hawks is fabulous in this movie. But if he tried to do this, he, he, he'd end up like, you know, being like he would be dead before we were in the fifth dead, scene, yeah. you know? And so would a lot of other people. <laughs> and, and that may happen after the movie's, <laughs> movie's done. But it feels to me like there's some combination of her, as you've been saying, grit and resilience and relentlessness, as well as the fact that she that, that, because, that maybe she's underestimated because she's only 17 and because she's a young woman, that she is and, and because she's not afraid to keep asking, to keep pressing, to keep going. And that that's that sort of pays off in the end. We talked about the background living and and static, although I don't think any of it's really static um, and the uh, strong social conventions. I want to add another layer to that and that might help get us into story if that's where we want yeah. to go. Although we can continue to talk like this. I'm happy. <laughs> oh, another thing I, I wrote down in addition to the um, the various manners and sort of codes of ethics, right? Mm. The women beat her up so that Teardrop couldn't come right. beat them up. I mean, it's a who's, yeah, the, that part. But um, alliances shifting alliances was something that I thought about a lot, particularly um, the first time that um, Dillahunt and I don't know his character's name other than like like the cop, the first time the cop shows Mm -hmm. up and there's this very insider outsider thing. Everyone, everyone else looks warily, you know, he has an attitude coming up. I'm assuming based on experience (laughs) um, dealing with, with, um, 
this family and, and it's not the first time he's been out there, but, um, and one would hope that sometimes he is out there truly to help, but other times, um, I imagine he's in there to, you know, deliver bad news or et cetera. Um, so there's, I mean, the, the stares from the neighbors Mm -hmm. are Mm -hmm. just frightening. And then I feel like you see it again, um, with the bonds, the bondsman, um, and then, you know, teardrop at the beginning, when we meet him is adversarial, but then becomes on her team, especially when it's against the cop. You know what I'm trying to say? So it just depends Mm on um, who at what time. And I, I, you know, who's in the family, um, if you will, not only do they say it that way, but also to borrow some language from um, another cage club podcast (laughs) franchise that this, this idea of, of what family means in the shifting alliances um, or allegiances that, you know, she goes and talks to, she gets help from her father's ex-girlfriend right. who maybe in another circumstance, if they had run into each other somewhere, she would have smacked. I don't know, but it just, it all depends on. Um, and I, and I think in, in, we all have those layered nuanced situations, but, but, very much kind of a snapshot of this particular rural um, part of the world. It, it felt again, very, since very earnest and, and interesting to watch. Yeah. I, I really, that's the part the, the, the family dynamic in this movie is what like really to me is intriguing at its core because, you know, in a situation like this, like, I would turn to my family for help and Mm -hmm. they're the last people on earth that want to give her any help whatsoever. (laughs) And they're just like, don't even, don't dig this up. Don't, you know, you know what happened, just let it be. And they just, you know, they don't really care that she's going to lose her. Or maybe they do, but they're just, you know, it's the system wherever they are at this point, there's really, they feel like there's really nothing that can be done about it. Like what's done is done and, and it's done. Um, And I've, like her tenacity really throws them off guard but it something like tobin said earlier how thump is sort of like the godfather this this is sort of like a mafia in a lot of ways mm-hmm. as opposed to like you know the fast and furious family where we're actual like care about <laughs> each other and take care of each other family and yes we go on crazy adventures and stuff but like at the end of the day we're we're all like breaking bread together but this i get the feeling like they don't ever break bread together i don't know that it's that different mike because uh, let's think about like shifting alliances and you know at some points what side is the rock on who is he fighting down the franchise i hear what you're saying yeah Yeah. oh absolutely Mm -hmm. okay Mm-hmm. We're going whole whole franchise here, Avi. I don't I don't know what podcast you run. Their family is just very cold, distant, and much more you know protective and not helping each other. That's that's really all I was going towards. Yeah, I think it. I think it absolutely depends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think Re is doing such a taking uh, such pains to create at least a a nuclear family as best as she can. Um, and that they just, I, I guess the reason I, I have, you know, I'm talking back is that they reference it so often. 
who's related and how they're all related. And, and Megan, the other young woman that we meet, who I love, by the way, um, you know, says, oh, I've seen you at the reunions. Yeah. Or, right. you know, I, I think it's that I that the family has broken apart and, and splintered in such ways that it doesn't, you know, right at this snapshot, I agree with you, but I feel like we hear about times and places when mm. it was different. And so in, in what I've built around what we've been shown, there's more. So maybe I'm just reading into it more than there is. But no. I, I think there's more similarities to Fast and the Furious. Then. I, I think I'm, I'm seeing it more now that we're actually talking about it, because it's almost as if she has to like prove her place in this family and mm-hmm. prove that she's tough enough, that she can you know deliver a pair of hands to the cops at the end and keep her mouth shut and that they could trust her to do something like that. Like, same the way in the same way that like the rock gains Toretto's respect and lets him go at the end of part five. Yeah. And shifting alliances, I see. And certainly with teardrop, like once he sees how far she is willing to go to get the shit kicked out of her. Okay. As soon as he sees that, he's like, okay, she is my kin and mm-hmm. she's kind of the last of my kin. And so from this point on, like, you know, she's going to see another side of me uh, except for my defenses, which is, you know, a scary ass dude all the time that you don't want to mess with. But you, they just hear the name teardrop and guys go looking for their shotguns and right. stuff. <laughs> like, so yeah, you're right. Like she is able to just get through to these people somehow. Speaking of teardrop, I agree to when I love John Hawks. I love John Hawks in this movie. We will talk about him more when it comes to the game. Oh, good. But I have such a hard time nailing an age on that guy. Does anyone else have that? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You mean just in this movie or in general? In general. In a, in yeah. a, to me, it's similar to a, a Gary Oldman kind of thing, where if you told me he was 55, I believe you. And if you told me he had just turned 40, I would believe you. <laughs> Not, but because, I mean, thinking back of the movie, The Contender, when I watched it as a youth, I thought Gary Oldman was an old man. And uh-huh. then Sirius Black shows up in my life and gives me all kinds of feelings. So, <laughs> you know, I didn't know where to put that. I'm not saying that I was sexually attracted to Teardrop, per se. <laughs> but I'm thinking of another. So this was 2010. And then in 2011, there was another little indie darling, uh, Marcy Martha May Marlene. Yes, yes. It was oh, Elizabeth Olsen's yeah. breakout. Right, right. But he also plays a weathered grizzly charismatic creepy figure and is you know similar but then you look at him clean shaven in three billboards outside ebbing missouri and to me that it's a different i would have put that Uh before this so i i think he's great he's a a true chameleon a a a wiry chameleon so much of what i knew him before this was he played much kinder characters uh in, mm. in what i had known like this this to me felt like a left turn into dark territory that he hadn't oh, shown as much before but that like clearly is really good at so let me let's play this game can you guess how old he was when they made this movie I mean, Iceland can because she looked it up. Oh, no. Uh, We're supposed to do that. Sorry. Mike, if you can. <laughs> um, 43? See, that's what I would have guessed. Early 40s. Okay. Iceland I, would have, how, how I would have thought that, too. But today, yeah. he is 58. So he was 50. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Okay. 
Yeah, I know him most from Deadwood, and he looks pretty much the same as he did in Deadwood, right? <laughs> except for the clothes. <laughs> exactly. This is amazing. Yeah. And speaking of, um, this is gonna this is gonna flow. I promise. But speaking of people aging gracefully and beautifully, and all the words. Laura Palmer yes, is yes. in this movie. Mm, she is. And the eyes. I love seeing, I get so excited when I see her alive in something. <laughs> because she has, yes. I think, you know, um, her eyes transfix me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I like to see her doing that. But there's also, so in addition to just talking about um, Cheryl Lee, I felt like such a, um, it was such a juxtaposition getting to that scene. Mm-hmm. Because it's warm. Yes, there's music, yes, right, right. There's game, and there are enough dollars that there are dollars on the table in the game. Mm-hmm. So, like, to me, when, you know, I felt re-entering a different world in that scene. And it just, <clears throat> you know, like like you said, Mike, there's just nothing out there. It's so stark at their homestead, mm-hmm. if you will, and the other places we visited up until that point, that that was just such a... a a sharp contrast and not that those people have a lot, but it was enough different that it, it felt like such a different atmosphere. One of the things that I love about that, I mean, I I totally agree. Her eyes are mesmerizing. I love to see her when she shows up and that she, so my students for, for many, many years, I would say, did you guys catch Laura Palmer in this movie? And like, usually nobody would know what I was talking about. Occasionally some would, but usually no one would. And then this last year, given that we just come off the, the Twin Peaks, The Return, I didn't even have to mention it. People, were, people <laughs> brought it up on their own, which made me so, so happy. I think she's, and I, I think you're right. Um, no, I, haven't, I don't have anything else to add. I'm just going to, I'm going to end it there. You're right. <laughs> yeah, I was I didn't remember she was in this movie because she doesn't work a lot, really. You know, she does Twin Peaks. I think that's the most I've seen her in. And she doesn't she's she plays a different character more than she plays Laura Palmer on the original <laughs> series. So and, and that show is such like a bizarre soap opera, you know, like the acting is very particular. So to see her in this scene, I was just blown away. Like I was like, OK, this is what she can do. I've seen her in like a, you know, a vampire movie, I think. Yes, yes, and, <laughs> and it's like, why? You know, I wish she would do more stuff. Like, I wish she got more attention because she is great in this type of role. I'm sure she's good in every type of role, but like, this really showed me that she had range that she could, you know, because mm-hmm. you see other people from Twin Peaks and lots of stuff, um, but she's never popped up before. Uh, and I really love this scene too because uh, the folk music, you know, like you mm-hmm. really get that like organic natural like um just sense that this is what's been going on for hundreds like at least 100 years up in those mountains Mm -hmm. maybe 200 years like ever since the 1830s or whatever when they've been settling up there um that this is how they would entertain each other and this is their community and their lifestyle and it's it's pretty great that we never see anyone turn on a tv or (laughs) pop open a cell phone or anything like that This also ties back to the conversation you guys were having earlier about family, because one of the things that this movie illustrates so well is that for the people in this community, every official institution has failed them. Right. Like school has failed her. The law enforcement is not helpful to them. She can't join the military because she'd leave her family away. The health care, like she doesn't go to the hospital when she gets beaten up and loses teeth. Right. Like the woman next door brings her some some pain pills and like they put some 
you know frozen peas on her like that's that's kind of that's what they do instead of instead of seeking out uh, some kind of official institution so what they're left with is either the remnants of family or an actual family which what which is what we kind of get in this scene like this is this this is the place i would want to stay you know like curl up in a ball in a corner and just stay in this room where these people are singing and 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 you know having having as good a time as as people in this movie have but i think it, it highlights the fact that this is uh, you know that these people that this group has of uh, people has found a way to function in this community where the official institutions have all failed them yeah that's a good way to characterize it for sure it, yeah, it's interesting, too, when you find out at the end that her dad w- had a banjo in the closet, you know, so mm. this could have been this was an right. op- this was a route, you know, this was an option to take. And that was a, a road not taken. It's even more heartbreaking. <laughs> Soon after that scene so that we've had we've had some warmth and some music, <laughs> some culture. And then it's just back to, you know, the next is a burned out car and yeah. that a burned out car plus missing a court date means he's dead. Right. I mean, that's, that is the conclusion that we've come to. And some of the, you know, sort of evidence of, of unsavory, new unsavory characters. Um, Mm -hmm. And that scene out in the woods with her mother. Yeah. When she just needs, she just wants something. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. That feels like the Oscar moment to me. I mean, the whole movie deserves the Oscar, you know, you could kind of pick out anything, but by design, I just feel like that plays because it's the only time she really like bears herself yeah. open entirely. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. those like are the first real tears. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, completely unguarded. Um, and it's to the one person like she should be able to turn to her mother, and yet her mom is basically catatonic. Like it's just can't deal. So. Yeah, it's rough. Yeah, I think at that point it was, you know, it's been her responsibility this whole time. But at this yeah, that moment, she's truly alone, except for the the best friend, which we who's been around and we haven't yes. really mentioned um, with the baby. And and again, going back to those um, roles and conventions that the friend has to ask her husband if she can get the truck. You know, I yeah. mean, uh, Jennifer Lawrence doesn't go in and ask, "Hey, may I borrow your truck?" It's she talks to her friend, talks to her husband, and at first it's a no, but then, then it's a yes. Um, and so that that friend, another oh, another woman, is on her side, mm-hmm. um, by her side throughout, and then putting peas on her side after she's mm-hmm. uh, been beaten up. <laughs> so I, I don't remember her name right this second. Gail. Gail. Apologies. I think it's it's also really great how I mean in the noir sense that's kind of like her partner or like her girl Friday or something like that. Um, and then she's like running around with the baby too. So it's a little surreal. You know what I'm saying? It's all, it's like, it's like a Nancy Drew novel, but like an R rated one, you know, like, <laughs> like the darkest Nancy Drew mystery that's ever been portrayed. <laughs> but, but not all, you know, shiny and sexy, like the, those Riverdale kids. This is also a noir comic. Um, I put as soon after the scene with the mom, I I wrote big in my notes. Oh, we finally found all the men. They're at the auction. <laughs> yes, yeah. That was, but that really is the first time there's been more than one dude in a room, except for the the one scene when with the band when they're playing music at the, mm-hmm. the, that home. But you know, we see the teardrop by himself we see that other guy by himself 
And that that's and the I mean obviously the cop and the bondsman and the neighbor, but they're all you know yeah. pretty independent. And then it was just striking to me that like oh that's that's where the men are. So there there is some you know actual farming livestock things going on, but you have to have the capital to put into that in the first place. Right, right. So it makes sense that Thump is the one, and and you can see too in the scene in the barn where we later on when we really see Thump his accoutrement are, yeah. you know, I mean, he's got the leather vest mm-hmm. with some danglies and some buttons and <laughs> it's just, it's just different. You know, I mean, he's, mm. he's sort of showing that, that, and I'm using wealth in quotes, but, um, mm-hmm. but it would make sense that he's the one at the auction because he has something now where he got the money. Eh, who knows? It's also his uniform, his uniform, his costume, <laughs> his outfit. Well, what's really great, he, he looks like a general. He looks like the hillbilly general or yeah. something like that. So, like, mm-hmm. he, you see him and you're like, all right, I get it. Like, he's in charge of all this stuff going on in the background and all that stuff. And and quick note on the commentary, that uh, that guy who plays him was a local actor, or I don't even know if he was an actor per se, but that that's his actual coat. That's his jacket. Those are his clothes a lot of people are wearing their own clothes in this movie Mm -hmm. and so they found this guy and i think they're like you gotta try we gotta see if we can make him work Mm -hmm. and he works great it's amazing it was great and there's just enough of that i i feel like again with that sort of show don't tell that he's someone that we've been chasing off and on and and i feel like we from my perspective we need something from but i don't quite know what what we need from thump other than (laughs) You know, is there, do I, do we is know specifically? Is it yeah. permission? Like that just seems like that's so strange, but like, that's what he holds in his hand is like permission. Um, it seems so weird to think about, you know, because when you get to a dynamic like this, it's almost alien in a way I feel for me, like it's kind of hard to fully comprehend like the stakes, the, you know, who's got the upper hand like who's in charge of who and all that but i understand that it works for them and i think that's all i need to know mm-hmm. i get like there's a structure here they know what the rules are even if i'm not entirely clear about it one of the things i'd like to point out too before before we leave the auction scene is that for a, the a movie that as we've said has been so tied to realism all the way along. I mean, there's very few shots that aren't handheld. There's very little music that isn't diegetic to this. That isn't, we don't have the source for it in the, in the movie. We, you know, that there's, there's very little sort of uh, filmmaking getting in the way of the sort of realism of the moment. And then that sequence, as she's chasing after thump Mm -hmm. kind of above him on this catwalk with all these cows moving and stuff, like the light suddenly changes. It gets very sort of gunmetal blue in a way. And you get the sound design coming up and she begins to get more muted and it feels kind of, you know, almost dream or nightmare like in that moment to me anyway, like there's a, there's a, the movie sort of breaks its style in that moment Mm. in a way that it's going to at least one other time. And it's so striking to me that it it helps make that moment feel more mythological as she's getting toward this elusive, you know, the, the, the Minotaur, the center of the labyrinth or whatever, like she's getting close to this, to this creature that holds whatever secret she needs. And, and as she gets there, like the, it's almost like his power is sort of manifesting itself in the movie, in the movie around her in a way it's, it's uh, sort of eerie in that, in that way.
I, I didn't pick up on the details of the filmmaking, so I'm glad that you've pointed that out to me. I, I did feel like it was desperate in a very different way than some of the other, like you sort of moments of quiet desperation. Hmm. So I, as a, a layperson viewer, absolutely felt it was different. And now I'm glad to know sort of why it, mm-hmm. it was, but I also felt like it was, I have a lot of dreams where I'm screaming. Oh dear. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't, my, I don't, our listeners may not believe me. I don't yell at people in real life as much as I would like to. Um, as so much I have, as you yell at me here. No, just exactly. Kidding. So I have um, uh, dreams where I'm trying to convey something with urgency. Hmm. And so that felt very much like a dream or how she might remember it later to me of just Mm, screaming mm. that Mm -hmm, she needs his help because very quietly asking her mother for it didn't work or showing up at his doorstep didn't work or, or those sort of things. So that um, I think that struck me in a, in a different way. And, and it is the scene right before she then gets attacked by all the women and then is in the barn. And that's where we meet Megan again, her like, I mean, cousin in quotes, who is just sort of so even and so nonchalant <laughs> yeah. about this whole world. And kind of, I feel like is a little, I would say sneaky exposition a little bit, or like, I guess. Maybe sure, sure. Back. Good call. That's how we learned that they were at family reunions together and uh-huh. a little bit about who you should be scared of and who you shouldn't in that first scene outside. Right. In the way that two kids in a, on a schoolyard would sort of, you know, you meet and your friends for a recess. That's kind of how I, I felt like it was. And then there she is doing it again. But after having beat the crap out of this other human. Um, <laughs> and then that's totally. where my recollection is this is the scene that we got at the Oscars when her nomination was announced was, you know, her with a you know, broken bones and, and lip and all that lay, laying out her case. You can feel her f- sort of, I mean, it, it is, this is expressed in the scene, but you feel her fate hanging by a thread in this scene. And, and I thought where I thought you were going to go other, uh, uh, when you were talking about Megan is when she says, uh, what are we going to do with you, baby girl? What are we ever going to do with you, baby girl? Kill me, I guess. That idea's been said already. Got any others? Help me. Ain't nobody said that idea yet, have they? Just offhand, like, yeah, we've been thinking about that. Do you have a? Uh, do you have any better ideas? I mean, yeah, and she says, yeah, she helping says, me. Yeah, I helping bet nobody me, said right? that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, you know, to the end, the re is such a. Like she just will not stop. It's the thing we've talked about on this podcast over and over again for the movies that have gotten um, uh, the the sort of progressive stamp from us is that these main characters, will, these women will not give up in the face of what they're after. And I, I think that that no I've been excited to talk about that in this movie from the time we first came up with the idea for this podcast because i think it's so you know to be i I would have shriveled into a into the corner in that scene after all that had happened to me i would not be you know like basically talking back and like you know and she and she does that in the in a way that just i don't know i I find that so compelling this this is i think in this scene this is like the hour mark in the movie where she gets like beat up and you know what we get, is she going to die and the movie going to end or is she going to live and we're going to continue or whatever. And, and it really shows to me that not, maybe not just her, but like 
she's not just physically tough. These people are pretty smart too. Like she uses, if correct me if I'm wrong, but like she kind of uses logic to get out of this situation a little mm. bit because she's like, whatever was between my dad and you was between my dad and you. Like, this is our thing now. Like, this is my, this is a whole other issue. Right, right. And I think you're getting it confused with that issue. And it's like kind of, she's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah, she's totally. using her words to, <laughs> to get out of this. And yeah, and I just noticed that like quite a bit, like throughout the movie where that's just another thing where like you, I guess because of their situations, you might just, think that they're not all there or not bright and maybe that's mm-hmm. why they're poor but, but these people are smart like they're not right. dumb like they yeah, know just people. tricks and what to exactly yes right yeah and at this moment like in the barn it's all clicking to me about her character like she's so multi-dimensional multi-faceted and she really like you said Tobin like when her like her body gives up like her mind doesn't like she just keeps thinking of ways to win this situation mm-hmm. Yeah, I think she demonstrates her intelligence, like you say, you know, throughout it. And sometimes uh, based on how people are approaching her, that leads to what would be probably considered smart aleck kind of commentary. But it's I I think that you're right that she's underestimated, as are probably all these people. Mm -hmm, They're mm -hmm, they're just people. Their circumstances are dire and desperate in a way that most of us don't understand but they're not any you know less of the other you know of the, of the, the other humanity. things yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah right um, and yeah and she she demonstrates that that um her intelligence and her perseverance together and that leads to i think the a couple of the humorous lines that are kind of smart ass remarks well you could help me i bet no one's said that yet mm-hmm. or i think of early on when she's talking to either the cop or the the bondsman that her responses to them are maybe flippant sounding but really are logical yeah, right. statements. They just don't expect her to react that way. And and we don't either, which is probably why part of why it's compelling to, to follow her story. Yeah, totally. And I, I we should say as we, as we sort of move on to the last section of this movie as sort of dour and dark as this movie is, I, I, I really enjoy the experience of watching it. I, I think that there's a, you, you know, it, it's not that it's maybe just because I like this kind of movie, like I like noirs, you know, this is this is a kind of movie that I enjoy. But there there's something about uh, as you the, the the dignity that the filmmakers imbue in the characters in the movie, like all the characters in the movie, you know, this is not a movie that is looking down on the no. characters, any of the characters, except maybe Sheriff Baskin, the Garrett Dillahunt character, like maybe a little bit, you know, like he feels like the most kind of weaselly of the everybody else is sort of true. Like they say what they mean <laughs> or they uh-huh. don't or they don't tell you what they're not going to tell you but but he feels more um it's almost like that that kind of i'm i'm i can't quite articulate it but that kind of sneakiness is the oh, thing i did that, not get that from him oh well because he's because he is a he's a character he, like it was to him that Ree's father was um was sleeping and it's him that talked about it somewhere that let people know that he was snitching that got him killed like i see and again this okay. is I've seen I, the movie a million times but sure, like, sure. Uh, yeah he, he feels he feels more um what's the i guess uh, what uh, i don't 
there's a word I'm thinking of that's not sneaky, but it's like that. That he he is not um He's not forthright? Yeah, not forthright. Yeah. I don't so I I get that and I get that as a plot point, and I will continue to process and evaluate. What I got from him is through circumstance or perseverance or what have you, he chose a different path or a different path was lit for him Mm -hmm. and he can't go back. He's not part of that group anymore. And I not part of the family, but just part of their, you know, sort of society there. And, and, and that puts him in such an awkward position all the time because he is, his 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 alliances are forever changed because he's the you know legal authority where mm. still i mean thump is authority of the land but you know he's I, whether it's wanted to be legitimate and then turns out you're not in this uh circumstance but i i didn't i okay i'll have to re think about that as um cuz i mm. i saw some sort of not regret, but I guess I gave him more empathy than mm. the movie wanted me to. Yeah, it may just that. be my reading and having seen it a million times, it feels he feels duplicitous in a way that the other some of the others don't. So then we have um, Re and her uncle Teardrop in the truck, and he sort of lays out the kind of how he can help because it, it seems like maybe he could he could have maybe f- for a minute now and and finally decided in the nick of time to help. Mm-hmm. And they have a sort of, I mean, an awkwardly sweet moment. I don't mm-hmm. know how to, mm-hmm. yeah, um, uncomfortable but sweet at the same time. He's actually being an uncle. That's what I right. said. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, that's wow. like, <laughs> the family part. Yeah, that, that, and 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 I think being a brother too, because mm. the, she calls him on that at the beginning, wanting before they know his fate, wanting um, she wants Teardrop to help to find his own brother. Mm-hmm. And kind of throws that in his face and he um, becomes aggressive and then leaves the room. But now it's it's him bringing up that the, their connection and that connection meaning something. and But also meaning that revenge is on the table. Right. And I think that's maybe part of why he didn't want to get into it in the first place. Is that if, he, if he's not part of proving that he's dead, he doesn't have to worry about the next bit of obligation which would be to revenge and going after the the people mm. who killed him yeah he says he can't know he doesn't want to know so he even says if you ever find out who did it basically mm-hmm. like right. literally killed him don't tell don't me tell because him. right he'd be obligated by the social conventions that that have been of, of this community it feels like anyway we are led to believe he will mm-hmm. feel an obligation as you say to to go and kill him and that mm-hmm. that will you yeah. know the, the the cycle will continue. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It just the uh, the dominoes will continue to fall. Mm. Vendetta. You know, it's like the whole right. mob thing again. <laughs> like, yeah. Absolutely. Right, right. Totally. Totally. It is a mobster thing. And then I, the next sort of sweet bit that we get is going through some of her uh, father's stuff. It's where we find the banjo, um, like you brought up earlier, Mike, and and going through um, photo albums and and burning things, and that to me was sort of the closest we're going to get to a memorial mm-hmm. with this character we've never met, but, but we have had feelings about or feelings for throughout the story, which I think is um, an accomplishment that they are able to make us feel so much for this person who 
wasn't around. We don't know what kind of father, if a father at all, he was, but, Mm -hmm. but he's, um, you know, somehow being memorialized at least by re and I sort of thought it as of a, you know, closure for her and her family, but moving forward and, and Mm -hmm. kind of the, okay, what are we going to, what are we going to do next? Because still the house is going to be gone any minute if, if we don't figure out how to prove Mm -hmm. that he's dead. It's it's really interesting by the end of this movie, like when she's looking through the closet at his clothes and the banjo and stuff, and it's like, well, how do we really know this character of the father that we never get to know, really? And Mm -hmm. we know him through her, basically. Like you look at how he raised her. Like look at the type of person that she is. Like there's there had to be some good in this guy. You know what I mean? Like there had to be some righteousness and some like at some point something must have gone real wrong for her dad or he lost battles to some demons that he just couldn't handle because I look at her and you know he did Mm -hmm. something right you know what I'm saying like he did a lot right to be honest and it could have just been you know him trying to make amends that got him killed we don't really know exactly the whole story there or anything but um, I feel like she is sort of like a monument to him by the end of this yeah I think there's some legacy in that for sure I agree and then I have in my notes that Cranky, which is what I called Marib in my notes, <laughs> yeah. that Cranky and her friends come back to fix her problem. So, right, put an um, end to it, right? Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Teardrop, you know, busted up some stuff and was trying to poke the bear and, and figure th- some things out. Um, and, and whether that had any effect on uncranking her friends or just mere mercy they're gonna take her in and get it and get it done and and the way that it's framed which is so interesting and and brings us back to this the culture in which they live is to end all the gossip and end all the gossip and also all the potential for further snitching and law enforcement and you know i mean i i I see that as both just in, in in internal to the community there's too much talking, but also mm-hmm. that could lead to too much talking to folks outside the community right, as right. well. So there's gossip with, with consequences. Um, so to end all that, we're going to go put a bag over your head, take you to an undisclosed location and help you demonstrate that your father's dead. <laughs> Holy crap. That yeah, is not yeah. an experience that any of us <laughs> have dealt with. No. Yeah. <laughs> I had forgotten how they, final chapter of this movie played out to be honest like um i remember the first time watching this i was like oh they're they're gonna kill her like that's what they mean you know they're gonna (laughs) wrap it up and leave the gun and put the sack on your head and i've got my sisters with me and it's i'm whipping out the chainsaw like holy Mm -hmm. crap like we've we've really turned a corner here into horror but it worked really well. Like, I don't know everything, especially once you find out that they're actually genuinely there to, you know, prove her father's dead and help her. Um, It's just this relief. I I mean, I'm so tense. Most of this movie in the first place (laughs) at this point, like between this scene and the scene between Hawk and um, between uh, teardrop and the sheriff, like I am sweating mm-hmm. bullets, you know. <laughs> like this movie. Oh, right. really... I'm sorry, I sort of glossed over that. That was really intense. Yeah, the standoff. Yeah, yeah. Modern day static. That's that's very western. That scene mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and so yeah it's just like a great reversal like even though i knew at this point this this time she was going to be all right i still felt the sense of dread the imposing sense of dread that is possible uh in this scene here and also just the pure torture which is a theme y'all keep making me watch things oh man (laughs) torture but it's i mean and 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 this is i think the other well i would say a third if you count some things in the barn but the re's um complete rawness comes out i mean this is you see it you see that this is torture and Mm -hmm. and it is not only emotionally for her but you know it's dismemberment like it's yeah 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 really disgusting um (laughs) and but acted so well and and at that point it's it's that then torture for me watching because they have made their case that this is the best possible scenario yeah, in yeah. which everyone ends up okay because do, they don't want any evidence of the you know with that comes with the rest of the body, right? You know this is this is to solve her. This is the most efficient way to solve her problem and thus their problems that mm-hmm, her problems mm-hmm. created. And so, like, I'm on board, and then I'm reminded what I'm on board for, and it's yeah. so disturbing and acted so beautifully. Yeah. And of course, at this point, the reason that they're making this turn is that they are are finally like she has made it so apparent that she is not going to talk. She is not going to mm-hmm. snitch like her dad. She's not going to go to the cops and ask for help. These institutions that we were talking about earlier. And it's because of that, like they finally realize, OK, look, she, a, she's never going to give up and things are going to get worse. And B, she's never going to talk. And mm-hmm. so we can trust her to sort of give these hands you know, to the sheriff and, and, and not tell him where they came from. The other thing we see in this scene is that she finally hits her limit because mm-hmm. she is unable. She can't do it. She can't, do it. Right. She can't, can't cut off her dad's hands. So instead she has to hold the hands as Mira cuts yeah. them off. I mean, it, it makes it that much worse to, to uh, watching anyway, right? Like a sort of, she has to do this maybe even harder thing, you know? It's really and grotesque. It's, it's so, it's so, um, Oh, it's grotesque, but it's also kind of poetic in some way. I mean, it just it it, it works so well. I guess is what I'm saying <laughs> at this moment in the movie for me, anyway. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, there's tons. There's I mean, there's tons of meaning alone in just the, it being the hands that survive. You know, just because mm-hmm. of how they you know work the earth and just do the work and all that kind of thing. It's like oh, his his last piece of him was the the part of his body that built uh whatever it could and stuff yeah. but yeah i mean it's very macabre like this is this is you know disturbing it's supposed i think i mean it's supposed to be disturbing but like yeah this isn't typical um it's very surreal <laughs> and it's all the more surreal because it feels like um the other ladies the they've done maybe they've done something very close to this before like this isn't their first rodeo you know mm. she's like uh you drop the other hand we need that the you know that's an old trick like you cut off one hand the, the cops know like you're not serious unless you got both of them because <laughs> like it like yeah there's a there's like an actual method to all this it makes it even more like disturbing all around and stuff yeah so i can't even imagine like i mean jennifer lawrence is is emoting incredibly in this moment so i don't know who won the oscar that year but i gotta say like for you know her not being in any major films before and being around like this, this just being in the environment of 
the setting and everything like she is so in the moment um mm-hmm. it's like it's super genuine and it's like it's just really incredible she lost that year to natalie portman for black swan oh okay okay it's it was, disturbing mm. yeah, yeah. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just, i guess i mean it's it's great that she went on to do hunger games and x-men and she plays really great characters in those franchises and stuff but i mean it's just too bad that we don't get more of this type of jennifer lawrence performance you know that i don't know <laughs> i wish you would do i'm not saying i want more david o russell movies necessarily but like those types of films i feel like she kind of excels a little better for me i i like her in those types of things so i was thinking about the the hands still um and the her sitting in the because it's so it's absolutely horrific that they're cutting them off and she has to hold them in order to cut them off it's just but then she has to sit in the sheriff's <laughs> office with them and then yeah. um and you know she puts him on the desk and and he's horrified at what yeah. happened and then just somebody flung him up on my porch yep obviously <laughs> but and i love that he does it like they both know that that's a lie but he doesn't he's not going to question that in a way that is similar to me in that he did back down mm-hmm. in the standoff with with Hawks and and he has that moment where he's sort of trying to say you well I I didn't back down because you were in the car and he's trying to save face that way and yeah and I I get that and I get that for the his um you know uh, authority or masculinity or a combination of of a number of things I also think that is the smarter move oh sure. Right? Yeah, it was yeah. a smarter move for him to do. So even though he's, I think he's saving face. He's trying to save face because that's what he's supposed to do. But I, I still think it was a smarter move. I think it's a smarter move not to continue to question her. Mm. Um, and so he is, you know, by all accounts, a weaker character. But I don't think he's dumber. No, right? No, I agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 I I think he's. Whether he grew up there or not, we don't know. I guess in my mind, he sort of did. And then and has mm-hmm. become this outsider because he's law enforcement. Right. Mm-hmm. And there may be some regret in that because he's never going to he's never going to be at the family reunion with Megan and Ree. <laughs> um, or even I mean, in this kind of um, atmosphere, how could you even really live a life in that community? You couldn't go also go out to the bars. Right. Yeah. Or you couldn't also you know, socialize with so many people so related and so talking to each other. Uh, Mike, you mentioned not seeing cell phones, but word travels, right? People yeah, are, yeah, right. There's, a, there's a network here and, and the law enforcement is completely outside of it. Um, and I think that's demonstrated to us several times, but then in that, um, in that final scene with the sheriff, when he's trying to explain <laughs> to her why he backed down and she's sort of like, uh-huh, uh-huh, cool, cool going to go back and try to live my life. I love that you've made me reconsider uh, the sheriff in this movie. I I, I think that I, <laughs> I love Garrett Dillahunt. I've always had him. And uh, of course, you know, he grew up near here or near where we grew up, Iceland. He's from Spokane or grew up in Spokane. Um, but I, I think that he not only do I love that you've made me reevaluate him, but I also love her final like kiss off to him at the end of that scene where <laughs> he says, you better, don't let me catch you telling anybody what, mm-hmm. what, you know, that, that I got back down. She says, I don't talk about you, man, ever. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's just so like, and she, it's true. She, if she's proven nothing else in this movie is that she does not talk. <laughs> right. And also like he is so outside of their sphere. Yeah. And that's again that, you know, he's trying to save face and, and maybe protect some ego. And that's like, you don't have any, yeah, you, your yeah. balloon of ego is nowhere near where we right. are. We do right. not, you are not one of us period. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And that's, um, that's great. Yeah, that shouldn't even concern him as an individual, like being accepted by these people at all. Mm -hmm. But it feels like it's on his mind and it adds to the sense for me. I got a sense that he was just generally out of his depth at his job in general. Like he he just isn't a good sheriff for the most part, Um, whether that be he's a good person or not. I don't I don't know. It's really it's we don't really get all that much time to tell. But I did get the sense that maybe he was a, a little green and a little mm-hmm. maybe jealous of other people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just not him. longing of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Of like mm-hmm. thinking maybe I'm going to be a, the police sheriff and I'll bring, you know, I'll be the head of the community one day or whatever. Like that's, you know, it's a, we talk a lot in Cinemaker, Steven Soderbergh Tobin about like you, mm-hmm. you try and do the right thing the right way and it gets you nowhere. Uh, right, you, right. you have to cheat right. and steal and break the law to get what you want sometimes. And it seems like he kind of learned that lesson. Yeah. He's stuck here. And right. whether, you know, regardless of his intentions going into it, you know, like you say, maybe he's going to bring law and order or maybe he's going to be a respected figure. If these issues were simple to resolve, Mm-hmm. we would have resolved them. Mm-hmm. But, these, right. you know, communities that are struggling and suffering in this way exist and, and it's been exacerbated and it's, you know, in some places likely worse. And so I do have some sympathy for him as mm-hmm. an outsider. Yeah. You know, being authority in name but not in actual sort of stature mm-hmm. in in the community where is where like thump or teardrop or we're hopefully after this re i mean yeah, yeah. uh the last scene is on the on back on the homestead and um teardrop comes and brings the kids baby chicks mm-hmm. and i thought oh god more animals that is all they need i hope they're hens yeah i yeah, hope they can exactly. get eggs from them yeah <laughs> but um so he brings chicks the bondsman brings money and we start and we sort of resolve our the the journey that re has taken us on yeah, she succeeds. I mean, she mm-hmm. she the only thing she doesn't have at the end is her father. And other than that, she's she's achieved all the things that she set out to at the beginning. And because the sometimes in a movie where you get to the last scene and the character like a person just shows up with money at the end of the last scene, like mm-hmm. yeah, in order to earn that, they have to have gone through a lot in this movie. And yeah. I I think that this movie earns this ending. The the maybe kind of heavy hand thing of like bringing new life to into this, you know, with the chicks as well like a guy just showing up with money like not it makes story sense but i think they also sort of buy it thematically given the trials that she has had to go through in this movie mm-hmm. yeah it's not a true deus ex machina right but it's you know because it's yeah. set up earlier and this is more of a payoff quite right, literally right. a payoff i guess you know in more than one sense uh but it feels that way and it feels like a good version of that though too you know like a lot of times when things happen at the very end and tie it up like in a nice little package you're like that's ah, a little too convenient but for sure this was not an easy journey <laughs> whatsoever you know mm-hmm. i mean this is this is like the trial by fire this is this is really like 
Um, she's transitioned, you know, she is an adult now for all intent and purpose. And yeah, she's got a little bit of money, but like, really, like, I don't know, you know, that's, that's going to cover the bare essentials. You know what I'm saying? Like they're still going to be struggling and it's still going to be a hard life. So um, they've got a little bit of hope, which I guess is all that they could really ask for at this point. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe get to rest a little while too. Like (laughs) I feel like when it fades to black, they'll they'll have a good night's sleep tonight. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't see it as a windfall ending at all. Um, like you say, Mike, they're just bare essentials need to be covered. And yes, it's a little bit of money, but I, the sense I get in the final shots is she's never getting out because she has to raise these kids. Like she's, she's, she's never getting out. And so I, it was more melancholy, I guess for for a movie where they hand you a pile of money at the end, it was, it was, (laughs) and then John Hawks off to potentially avenge his brother's death. So it yeah, was all just die trying. Yeah. 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 It, it was all, I mean, I would say more heavy than heavy handed. Ooh, but a bum. Thank <laughs> you. Hey, do you want to play a game? Let's play a game. Okay. So I have a several, um, the names of several much more lighthearted, films journeys that we've gone on in the past few years and here is your task in the game and i will be i will be (laughs) distributing points and declaring a winner um as i mentioned earlier john hawks i find quite haunting and when i think of him i think of him as grizzled and manipulative and creepy in in the best way Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. i know tobin you mentioned you've seen a, a lighter side of him at and I'm sure I have, but it, that hasn't resonated with right. me. I guess the sessions, but in mm-hmm. any case. So here's what I would like you to do. I'm going to name a movie and you're going to explain how you would insert a haunting hawks into the movie. <laughs> so I want I want a teardrop. I want a cult leader. Oh, I, want a, wow. I want a Deadwood. Um, <laughs> and we'll, we'll just do it a couple of times and we'll see who comes out the winner. Okay, okay. So starting with, I mean, what is probably familiar, hopefully familiar to all of us, Mike, I don't know your um, extracurriculars, but in, let's in, insert a haunting hawks into Frozen. <laughs> I've seen it. I saw it in theaters. I took my niece and nephew. What? Um, okay. Well, should I, can I go first? I think Please. I got one. Um, okay. So I would, okay. I would have the haunted, the haunting hawks would own the the supply shed that's like halfway up the mountain. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> they, they have like that jolly guy there, mm-hmm. right? He's like, you know, I'm Norwegian, so I found it a little <laughs> offensive, but hey, it's okay. It's a Disney film. Um, they're all kind of offensive. But say, yeah. <laughs> I would, yeah, I would put him there. Like she opens the door and it like creaks and it's very low lit at first. And, um, you know, you get Disney scary vibes and um, halfway through by the end of the scene he's actually like trying to sell you stuff you don't even need he's like <laughs> sort of turned the corner but that's where i'm going to put him i love it tobin do you have a frozen oh, hawks? Uh, man that's really good i would say i would put haunted hawks in as prince hans's brother uh mm. who is actually the would actually mastermind the whole kind of plan uh his whole plan and and to be the sort of power behind his attempt to take over the kingdom 
Also good. I like that. Um, <laughs> I'm going to take the point. Uh, the point is going to go to Mike for that Yay. one based on mine. Yep. Yep. The next movie we will do this with is Paddington 2. The masterpiece. The masterpiece. Paddington 2. Thank you very much. Paddington 2. Um, okay. Let's see. That is. It's it's funny because they go to prison in that movie, so like there's room for him there. But I but there's even there's a very colorful collection of neighbors on the block that Paddington lives, mm-hmm. and Peter Capaldi plays like <laughs> yeah, yes. like real mean guy who just hates Paddington for because he's a terrible person. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So I would maybe replace him with the haunted hawks. Is that possible? I would. Ooh, I would have yeah. hawks be like, yeah, the one guy on the block that just doesn't care about. It's just like big deal, Paddington. Like you walk, you talk, and you're a bear. <laughs> like get a job. Like that's how I would. Because kind of, <laughs> <laughs> like, that's kind of what Capaldi characters like in a lot of ways. So yeah, I would maybe just bring them down a little darker, and you know, just cursing under his voice at Paddington and stuff. Oh, man, I'm going to lose this game. Um, I, I would put him in the prison, uh, but rather but and I would lead into sort of the sad haunted hawks. Mm-hmm. Like he's he just feels kind of because I, I think that one of the things that Paddington does so well in that movie is in a very authentic uh, sort of from the ground up way makes people um, find their best selves, their sort of happier selves. And I think that the, the way that he does with the Brendan Gleeson character in that uh, movie, and I don't, I don't want to re- replace Brendan Gleeson, but I would add a sort of sad, haunted Hawks into the the mix. Um, you know, like even the pink, even when he turns the uniforms pink by accident, it wouldn't that wouldn't be enough to sort of bring Hawks <laughs> up. Like he he, he Pat can have to do a little bit more work for that. Interesting, both good. I don't know, Tobin, you got me with finding your best selves. Oh um, so wow, Tobin yeah. gets the point there for wow. the tiebreaker. Oh boy! <laughs> Final one. Where would you put a haunting hawks in La La Land? Oh, 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 oh. oh man. Um, okay, I, I I love that movie. I'm gonna. I don't know what you how you guys feel about that movie. So, um, but I wouldn't. I don't really know where do I place him. Okay, he is going to be okay. I got it. He's the night watchman at the observatory. Ooh. Uh. <laughs> oh, good. He's like super lonely there and like writes poetry and stuff like that. And um, oh my God. their dance actually is like an interpretive version of like what's going on in his mind. So like, <laughs> they show up and they're really, they're just like, looking at the stars and stuff but like in his mind he's watching them he's leering at them let's be honest and um, like just <laughs> just imagining what he what he wishes he had in in their uh kindling wow. romance this that you are oh. a human who has watched that movie sometimes that is that is amazing so yeah you have one? Um, can you compete with that at all no, but I'm going to try. I'm going to put Hawks as I'm going to add a couple scenes and um, Haunted Hawks is going to be the the kind of maybe mob connected loan shark type figure that um, 
we're going to have Ryan Gosling get them borrow the money from to start the club, uh, <laughs> yes. start his, his jazz club. That's what I'm going to I'm going to add him as. You know, that would be good, Tobin, but that would involve you just said more scenes. I know. I know. And I don't want to watch any more of that movie. So <laughs> <laughs> that makes Mike our winner. Yay. Yay. Thanks so much for playing Haunted Hawks with me. That was fun. That was good. Good time. And now as we come to the end of our time together, it is uh, appropriate to make our evaluation. Is this movie a step forward or a step back for fearless women in front of and behind the camera? Mike, what do you think? Progressive or regressive? Um, Definitely progressive for the women in front of the camera. Um, I only say that because I don't know that the director has gone on to do anything else. Uh, I mean, I think she made a near perfect film so she can take her time doing whatever she wants now. And like, I'm sure whatever she does next is, is going to be worth worthwhile and everything. But, you know, Jennifer Lawrence is a household name, you know, and it's only been like six or seven years since the movie came out. And I feel like she really skyrocketed the fame. I mean, it wasn't because of this movie, but... You know, I have a feeling people went back and saw this because she was in Hunger Games, you know. So uh, because of her career after this, this movie must have gotten a lot of exposure that it never would have gotten. Um, So, you know, I think even just for that alone, that's really great. Awesome. Tobin, what do you think? Yeah, definitely progressive. There were four this was nominated for Oscars in four categories. And in those four categories, only one was was uh, had a man nominated. John Hawks was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for his performance, but it was nominated for Best Picture and both producers listed were women. Best Performance by the uh, Actress in Leading Roles, Jennifer Lawrence, and then the two, and then a writing uh, screenplay uh, nomination for Deborah Granick and Anne Rossellini. And I think it's just through and through a movie that presents in a very thoughtful way issues that we've been talking about from the beginning of this podcast and i think uh it's a movie that that people really really should go back and take a look at uh deborah granick has made another movie it just debuted i I can't remember if it was sundance or can this year but it's a ben foster movie uh it's about to come out looks very very good about a father and daughter um kind of living uh off the grid in oregon and so yeah i'm excited always i'm i'm very excited to see but uh, anything Deborah Granick mm-hmm. does next. And I think that this is for sure uh, a step forward. Uh, Aizen, how about you? Yes, absolutely. I, just a short sidebar that I forgot to say earlier. Tobin, I, I, I think you and Deborah Granick are, would have a great time talking and working together. I think your um, visions are similar. When I watch this movie, I think, oh, this is a Tobin movie. Because it's... <laughs> it's um, you know, taking, well, one, taking noir someplace unexpected, I think of you, um, but oh. also celebrating uh, unexpected cultures mm. and the rural nature of it. I feel like mm-hmm. that's a, to- that's a Tobin thing. So oh, I, I can see your next thing being Oregon too. Like it, I yeah. get it. I feel it. Um, yes, absolutely. We have, um, you know, a young female heroine who persists and persists and persists like we've discussed women are so integral to this story and this world that they've built for us um that i think it demonstrating power 
Um, and and not, not all the power, as we've discussed, but um, but certainly women are to be reckoned with in this. And I appreciate that. And I think that's true behind the camera as well. So I'll I'll leave it there. Yes. Progressive. Excellent. Uh, so next up, <laughs> we are going to go darker and even darker. Even darker um, I'm so mad about this. Can I just say? <laughs> The other, the, the other uh, Cage Club Podcast Network co-founder, Joey Lewandowski, has browbeat us into, oh, no. into You've discussing. Submitted. I don't know if it's browbeating or like I was, I, I was baited. It was like, you know. Yeah, you the, were forced. Was, <laughs> you can say. He was fishing. forced you guys to talk about this. <laughs> and there was something real good, just a flicker of something tasty in the water. And I chomped down and now I've committed uh, to watching what film, Tobin? This is Revenge, a revenge movie mm-hmm. from France from last year. This just come out on VOD here in the U.S. And it is going to be this is what not another one that mom should not oh, watch. Yeah, no one. No, uh, <laughs> no. leave no. So, League of Your Own episode, you know, not Revenge. <laughs> Have mom yeah, on for yeah. that. <laughs> Yeah. So so we are going to uh, in two weeks, we're going to talk about the movie Revenge, which you can find uh, video on demand. And we're going to that episode will come out in two weeks on June 12th. Excellent. Thanks again, Mike, for coming and chatting with us. Um, I'm glad to finally have the other <laughs> Cage Club banner. <laughs> Thank you again also for um, this opportunity to watch movies that I love and movies that I hate and talk about that. Uh, we, are all, we are always appreciative of our Cage Club um, network parentship, parenthood. Um, I have a Cage Club network bumper sticker up in my office and I often wear my t-shirt while while we're podcasting. So thank you for all of that. Um, where can folks find you, Mike? Um, well, you could find me where they find some of your stuff at cageclub.me um, on the internet. And I actually, I'm running my own show at the moment called Third Time's a Charm, where I talk about the third movie in a film franchise and, um, you know, whether or not the franchise should even have gotten to that point or if it should continue <laughs> on. And, you know, it, it's a really weird show. I, I read the novelizations of the movies wow. and I read I love passages that. from I love them that. too. Tobin is on the <laughs> Jurassic Park episode. I think that comes out right. in July. Um, and that can also be found on cageclub.me. So, and is yeah, that just a out. long, slow pitch for Sex and the City 3? Are you just waiting? <laughs> <laughs> is that you know, the pinnacle was, of that show? Or? So it's basically, it's John Wick 3, Bill and Ted 3, and Sex and the City 3 are the coveted um, part three is that I'm waiting okay. for. <laughs> the main reason I started the show, hoping we'd eventually get to those, but no. I don't, I did they make us? They made a second Sex in the City, right? They did. Yes. Ooh, I don't know. Oh man. Um, they, went to the, they went to the Middle East, I believe. Bye. Yeah. Oh, no. The worst podcast of all time, or worst idea of all time, the podcast. Those gentlemen. Oh, that's did right. Sex and City Watch too. it. Oh man. Um. Well, while you wait for Sex and City three, folks <laughs> can. <laughs> Find me if they want to trick me into watching movies I don't want to see at Sassy Nerd MT on Twitter. 
<laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Tobin Addington, and you can find us at Facebook.com slash The Contenders Pod or on Twitter at Contenders underscore pod. Tell us what movies you want to see us do in the future and let us know how excited you are for Island to watch these movies that she's not going to like watching. Uh, we here at The Contenders are proud members, as we've said, of the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all those great shows, go to cageclub.me or Facebook.com slash cageclub cage club and find them at cage club pod on twitter you can find all the cage club network shows on itunes google play stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts while you're there please don't forget to subscribe rate and review and if you don't know how to do that ask us we'll help you (laughs) um we we love reviews they help us get better at our show they help spread the word and um if you read a comment that we like we might we might just read it. Who knows? In the meantime, I'm Aislinn Addington. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Tobin Addington. And we'll see you next time on The Contenders. Sorry. <laughs> okay, that's the game we're playing. I gotta wake up. All right. <laughs> Ooh, the, the ding. The coveted ding. <laughs> I, I I'm not doing that. It's just doing that. I don't know. Oh, okay, no, it's stuck. <laughs> there we go. Oh my God, that's what that button does. There's a button where you can make it loop. I didn't know that. Uh, I meant to just you hit it once, and then it just my, then my ding looped. <laughs> oh my! That was a good joke, though, Mike. That was good. <gasps> oh, oh, oh! The best movie of last year. Greatest Showman. Paddington Two. Oh, there you go. Paddington there 2 you. is a is a should be up for the Oscar for best picture next year. It is wow. flawless. It is so it's good. A hot take, Tobe. Um, I thought you were going to say Greatest Showman. <laughs> no, that too. Yeah, but but Paddington 2 is a is a masterpiece. Okay. Capital, capital M masterpiece.